were singing that last song, the word came to me very clearly that you've been waiting for someone. You've been waiting for someone to catch up with God, waiting for someone to change. And the Lord's saying, you don't need to wait for him anymore. You just need to do what he's telling you to do. Now, I don't know who that's speaking to, but I felt it so clearly while he was singing that that I felt like I had to share it. Amen? We don't need to wait on anybody tonight. We just need to run after God with all our heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thought of an incredible scripture this past week. I think the first time I ever shared from this scripture must have been in uh, early 2009. If you read the story of Gideon there where you remember that Midian had conquered or had oppressed Israel to such an extent that they just, they lived in fear. They cowered their whole life. They cowered in fear about these external, over these external oppressors. And you remember the story of how Gideon was in the wine press and all of a sudden the, the angel of the Lord shows up. And the incredible thing is Gideon's experience thus far in his life, it seems like it doesn't prepare him to have very much faith. So everything the angel says, Gideon just barely believes its possibility. And he asks for one sign after another after another, and <laughs> the angel kind of obliges him. It's really quite remarkable. And every sign that Gideon asks for ends up happening until something begins to build inside of Gideon. And he slowly begins to change until he becomes a force for faith in the lives of other people. Amen? <clears throat> and God works an incredible miracle. And he grants the people 40 years of peace after Midian is put to flight there and the, when the barley loaf chased him out of town, so to speak. And they get 40 years of peace. It's incredible. But then Gideon dies. And in his place, he's got a whole bunch of sons, a whole passel of them, in fact. I think there's like 70 of them. And as you might expect, when the, the judge dies, the judge of Israel dies, and there's 70 sons left over, they have quite a conflict as to who's going to take daddy's place. And uh, it doesn't go very well. But then there's this one guy, the son of a concubine, who's kind of a stepbrother to the 70, and he feels like he's got the answer to how to solve everything. He kills he kills everybody. He kills all 70 of them. And it says, And Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and spoke to them, to the whole clan of the household of his mother's father, saying, Speak now in the hearing of the leaders of Shechem. Because the guy who killed all the 70, and then he takes over 
Shechem, the people help him overthrow all these descendants of Gideon, and they, they elect this maniac to be their king. And things were looking pretty good for 40 years, and now suddenly things are going downhill very fast. And so Abimelech, the only surviving guy, comes and he says, Speak now in the hearing of all the leaders of Shechem. Which is better for you that 70 men, all the sons of Jerubbabel, that was one of the names by which he went, that they rule over you, or that one man rule over you? Also remember that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke and they conspired with him. It goes on and it says, They gave him 70 pieces of silver in the house of Baal Bereth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows, and they followed him. Then he went to his father's house, and he kills all the 70 men, all the men of Shechem, and all Bethel, Beth Milo assembled together. And they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar which was in Shechem. And Abimelech is not the Abimelech you may be thinking of in the book of Genesis. There's two Abimelechs in the book of Genesis. One who asks Abraham why he's pretending that Sarah is his sister, and the other that asks Isaac why he's pretending that Rebekah is his sister. But this is a different Abimelech. It means son of the king. Anyway, it says, Now when they told Jotham, all the men of Shechem and all Beth Milo assembled together, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar which was in Shechem. Now when they told Jotham, he went and stood on the top of the mountain of Gerizim and lifted up his voice and called out. Thus he said to them, Listen to me, O Shechem, that God may listen to you. Once the trees went to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my fatness with which God and men are honored and go to wave over other trees? Then the tree said to the fig tree, You, come reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go wave over other trees? Then the tree said to the vine, You, come reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my new wine, which cheers God and man, and go wave over other trees? Finally, all the trees said to the bramble, Bramble, you, come reign over us. The bramble said to the trees, If in truth you are anointing me as king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. Have you all ever taken refuge in the shade of a bramble? Come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, may fire come out from the bramble and consume the cedars of Lebanon. And obviously, Jotham's implication is fairly clear. Would you agree? He's telling them that's what they did with Abimelech. Why do you think those people wanted someone to reign over them? Why do you think people go to the olive tree and then to the fig tree and then to the vine, grapevine? Why do you think people want a leader? Why do you think people seek out someone who can be their leader? I was thinking where he says, 
the, the scripture that's been quoted tonight, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4 and 12. And yet Jesus said, if I came, if one came in his own name, you would receive him. But because I come in the name of another, you will not receive me. Why is it that people receive leaders who come in their own name? Why is it that we want leaders? Maybe you say, I don't want a leader. I want to be my own man. Really? Your own man. Completely independent. Completely free from any guidance, any role modeling. I want to be my own person, my own woman. Really? And how are you going to express that independence? Well, I'm going to look around until I find a fashion that I like. And then I'm going to dress exactly like that person because she seems independent and I want to be independent like her. Do you find anything slightly ironic about the statement I'm making here? Hmm? I want to be a rugged individual. Really? Like what? Well, you know, like that guy I just read about in this book. Totally individual, just like that guy, right? I mean, the truth of the matter is, the Bible calls us sheep. And everybody is serving somebody, and everybody is following somebody. There's not a single one of us that is completely independent. You couldn't even communicate the thought and use those words except that you followed someone when they taught you how to speak. They said, say, Dada, and you said, Dada. Mama, and you said, Mama. No, you can't do anything without help. Every single one of us have people in our lives, whether they're living or maybe fictional characters or whether they're imaginary characters on television or fashion characters or pop culture, doesn't matter. We all have to find someone to lead us. Now, why is it that we have to find someone to lead us? If we were content with staying still, would we need a leader? If we were okay with the thought that we were going to be born and nothing was ever going to happen of our life, then we wouldn't look for a leader. But deep inside of us, there is this sense that God has put there that we have a course, that we have a journey to go on, and that it's going to end someday, and we have an accounting to give. Amen? Now, that journey represents an unknown, and that unknown represents a risk. Do you understand? Are you with me? So when you want to go somewhere, and you've never been there, you're not sure about it, what do you do? You go find someone who has gone there. You say, I heard you went to that restaurant downtown. Was it any good? You need their leadership. You need someone who has the experience that you're trying to get to. And they say, oh, no. It's like all the other restaurants in Waco. <laughs> Except one. Brother Derek, if you're here. 
But you need a leader because you want to go where he's gone. You see something that someone has that you don't have or some place that they've achieved that you don't have and you say, I want to be there. And so you emulate that person in order to arrive at the place that they're at, that you desire. Amen? So the need for leadership is deep inside of all of us, especially young people. And the more independent you think you are, the more deceived you are because everybody needs a leader. And there are leaders who really stress independence and they get a huge following. And it's ironic because the leaders who talk about how independent you can be, they're the ones that have the most followers. Do you understand? The churches that stand up and tell you, you don't need anybody. You can do it on your own. They are packed out. Isn't that ironic? Ever so slightly ironic, huh? Because people are following this myth that they don't need to follow anybody. And you're saying, Ossie, I don't follow. I'm sorry. That's what Jesus said when he came on the scene. He said, follow me. Amen? They didn't know where they were going, but they saw something in him that they didn't see in themselves, that they hoped to see in themselves one day. And so they were willing to trust his guidance in leading them in a direction that they didn't have firsthand experience of. And what I'm describing is what? Hmm? When you trust someone in that way, what am I describing? Faith. Faith. Amen. That's what we're describing. And everybody in the world has faith. And everybody in the world is following somebody. Everybody is following somebody. And everybody has faith. The question is, what do you have faith in? Do you understand? And the danger is that you're going to put your faith in a bramble. The danger is that you're going to think, you're going to say, why? This is independent. This is my own man. And you're going to end up trying to find shade under a bramble. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now I want to shift just a little bit, but we'll maintain this train of thought, okay? Now let me read something to you that you're very familiar with. Jesus has already, he's already spoken to this, and now he's explaining what he's already spoken. But since you know it, I'm not going to read the first part. I'm just going to read the explanation. Okay? Now listen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in their heart. Amen. If someone were to come to you and say, there are tickets to Israel, and they're only $250 a person, and I want to tell you what Israel is like. And they explained it to you in vivid detail, in beautiful pictures and colors, 
that just made your heart yearn to go and walk where Jesus has walked, to see the sights, to look at the hills where he preached, to see the people and walk among them. Amen? What would they be doing? They would be sowing in your heart the vision, the idea of a place you'd never been. And every time the word of God comes to us, that's what's happening. He's sowing in our heart the idea of a kingdom. The ideal, the vision, the plan, the imagery of this place. It looks like this. And the people treat each other like that. And there's this kind of freedom and there's this kind of joy. And the sorrows, you can handle them like this. Amen? Now, if that image stays in your mind, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you keep that ever before you, pretty soon you're going to realize that, that idea, that, that dream that you have, you're going to start pursuing it. And every turn, you're going to see, does this take me closer to that ideal? Amen? But in this parable, Jesus describes to us how those great ideas, those great visions, those great seeds of the kingdom, they get sown in our minds and hearts. But then we walk out of the meeting and we don't change. And he wants to explain to us why that happens so that it can stop happening. Are you with me? When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes in and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. Now, I want to just ask you right off the bat, why does seed not grow real well beside the road? Because it's hard. It's gone through a lot of things. A lot of wheels have gone over that soil again and again and again. And when you suffer a lot, when you go through a lot of things, when a lot of things happen to you, you can get as hard as a road in your heart. Are you with me? A lot of wheels have gone over. A lot of dreams have passed over this road, this place. And the soil just gets harder and harder and harder so that the seed does not penetrate into the soil where it can start to germinate, soften, and sprout. And even if it barely penetrates, the soil is so compacted, you could supposedly drill into the soil and put the seed in there, but the soil is so tight that that little promise of God can never spread open and sprout. That hard testa of the seed can never fall off because the soil restricts it. The soil of too many things turned to unbelief. Too many experiences making your heart harder and harder and harder and harder. Do you understand? Now it is the hard heart, ironically, that is the cause for the mind that does not understand. Amen? If your heart doesn't believe that seeds can grow here anymore, then there's this dissonance between your mind and heart and your, your mind just won't compute what your heart just won't believe. Are you with me? Your mind just won't understand, won't unpack the seed that your heart won't receive. 
Are you, are you still with me? And so he says that the, the first kind of people to miss out on the promise of the kingdom are the people whose hearts have become like a road, compacted through a lot of weight of a lot of experiences that disappointed. Now, when I'm speaking this to you, try not to think of anybody but yourself and ask yourself, God, have the things that I have suffered, have they served to plow up my soil and make it fertile and soft for God's promises to fall into? Or have the things that I have suffered served to make me a harder person and a person whose heart has a shell, has a crust on it? Amen. So that my mind can't understand the things that the soil of my heart can't receive. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. It's the first one. They just don't understand it. But why don't they understand it? Is it a problem of the mind? Hmm? Why don't they understand the word? Is it a problem of the mind? No. It's a problem of the heart. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet, he has no firm root in himself. No firm root in himself. What's the problem with rocky places? Why doesn't the seed grow there? Does anybody know? Again, it's a problem that the soil, there's not enough soil. Isn't that right? So the road, it can't get into the soil. The rocky places, it can get in, but it's not deep enough soil. Are you with me? The soil is too shallow. So it springs up quickly, but the root doesn't go deep enough to touch sources of water that can help the plant withstand the difficulties of the heat. Are you with me? And what are those rocks? What is the rock that would keep the seed? Again, if we, keep, if we stay with the analogy of the heart, what is the rock? What is the rocky place that keeps the seed from putting down a deep root. says he has no firm root in himself. So where are the rocks? The rocks are in himself. The rocky place is in himself. And what is this rocky place we're talking about? Huh? Yeah? Can you think of any scriptures that talk about that? Like, for example, in Ezekiel... The days are coming, says the Lord, when I will put my spirit inside of them and I will take their heart of stone and I will give them a heart of flesh. Amen? 
and I will teach them to walk in all my statutes. What does that mean? That means the seeds won't be wasted anymore. The seeds won't bounce off the hard heart and fall by the wayside. The seeds won't spring up in shallow soil and fall by the wayside. Because God is going to help us to feel where we lost feeling. He's going to give us a heart of flesh. Now people who have been paralyzed, who have lost all feeling in a part of their body, they liken it to their hand or their foot feeling like a stone. Amen. Someone who has, who has uh, suffered freezer burn, who suffered frostbite uh, on their foot, they feel like their foot is made of stone. When you lose the sense of feeling, the ability to feel, that feels like a stone. The space is still occupied, but the feeling inside the space is gone. Do you understand? That's what it means to have a heart of stone, to not feel the things that you should feel, to not let the Word of God work its root way down into the deepest feelings inside of you, sending its tentacles and tying in to emotions and commitments and surges of faith in your emotional, spiritual nervous system. Amen? The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But joy is a quick emotion. And therefore it can be a shallow emotion. Amen. But there are other feelings besides just immediate recognition and happiness. Oh, that's the truth. Amen. I'll do it. Do we like it when people say that? Amen. I'll do it. Come on. Do we like that? Sure we do. We don't like them to say, I don't know. That certainly isn't any good. That's so bad he didn't even list it in here. We like it when people receive the word with joy, don't we? Is it bad to receive the word immediately with joy? Those who heard his word with gladness were added to their heart, added to their number. 3,000 souls were baptized that day. Amen? So, is it bad to receive the word immediately with joy? No, that's the good part. And therefore, it's the deceptive part. Do you understand? The joy is good. That's the part of the heart that's still okay. That's the half-inch deep soil. But God wants to take that half-inch deep soil and He wants to expand it from joy into faith and from faith into commitment and from commitment into long-suffering. Amen? You got it? Long-suffering into a sense of loyalty, stick-to-itiveness. Amen? The joy isn't a bad part. It's the good part. But it's got to be more than that. You got to say, God, I want my life to be changed, and I don't just want to accept this on the first half inch of my emotions. I want it to go down. I want to feel this all the way down to my toes. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, 
immediately he falls away. He falls over, okay? He's a plant. And you can hang around him. And when everything's going good, he's there smiling. His sunflower's up there. I'm so happy to be living for God. And then just about the time you need him most, when everybody's going through something, he withers him. He's gone. What happened to so-and-so? They were doing so good in the last meeting. I'm telling you, Jesus has given us the answer. It's an issue of the depth of our feeling. We're satisfied with a shallowness of experience, a shallowness of feeling. And that's not what it takes to withstand the scorching difficulties that are coming. Amen. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns. What does that make you think of? These are the people who said, I want to hear the word of God. But I got a bramble in my life and that's who I'm really following. So give me the word, but I want to keep my bramble. Yeah, I'll take the word, but I got this bramble. And he, I really think that it can help me. I don't know, it gives me a certain thorniness of judgment and brittleness of pride. Toughness and stubbornness. I just feel better about my life with this bramble. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness. Two things of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. He hears it. He says, speak to us such gracious words again. I would hear you again on this matter. The word, it, it touches him. It even gets inside his heart. It, it penetrates the soil of his heart. <laughs> but there are other things growing there. And the seed, when it first is sown, is the weakest thing in your heart. And so if there is anything else growing there, it is going to conquer that seed easily. There are brambles growing there. And those brambles can be worries. Amen. Why does someone choose a bramble? Why does someone choose a bramble as their leader? Because they're worried. <laughs> they need help. They don't know what's in the other room. They need someone to be following. Hmm. Oh no, I am independent. I don't go to parties. I don't go to church. I don't hang out with buddies. I do my fishing and I go home and I watch the news. That's it. Hmm. You do. And that news, that doesn't represent any sort of leadership in your life. That's not forming you. That's not informing and forming you. Hmm. No. I just listen. Take it for what it is, get in my truck, turn on some cranky record of Johnny Cash. It's just, just me and me, nobody else. Yeah, Johnny Cash isn't 
leading your heart through certain feelings, certain memories, certain dreams. Every time you do anything, you're being led. You're turning to somebody. You're turning to brambles. You're saying, would you please be the direction in my life? Would you please be my role model? Because I just don't know what I look like unless I'm looking like you. I'm an independent person after all. I don't know what to sound like unless I'm sounding like you. Have you ever gone to the places around a university and heard how all the girls laugh the same? I don't know if I should try it here. But have you ever noticed that? They all have the same laugh. Where'd they learn that laugh? Ever, ever gone and, you know, people come out here and see us and they say, they all look alike. Funny thing is, is they all look alike. In fact, there's only about 10 of them and they just carbon copy each other. It's incredible. And they change so, the changes are so predictable. One, one year it's these little tiny glasses and then all of a sudden it's these big glasses with white, white rims and white purses and here we come, little bling on the side. It's so predictable. One year it's shoes this tall and next year it's no heel. Bless their heart, soulless things. But it's so predictable. One year it's pants that are this big, and next year it's pants that look like painted on you. Who's doing this? They're just being led along. I just want to be independent. When I come out there, I just don't feel like I fit in. Somebody's leading somebody. One year it's a hairstyle that looks like a Cape Buffalo, and the next one it's a hairstyle that looks like an African lion and not the female. And if you're wearing the Cape Buffalo style and it's African Lion style, don't you know that's yesteryear style? You are so has-been. What does that mean? That means you're not keeping pace with your leaders because you're part of a kingdom and they're calling the shots and you're being led every step of the way. But the way they're leading you is they're convincing you that you're your own person and that nobody's leading you. Just try not doing what everybody else is doing. Just try not having an iPhone. Just try not doing it. <laughs> they didn't even exist until after Barack Obama was elected. Try not having one. Try not having a television. Try not looking as cool as the latest fashion dictates that you must. Because day after tomorrow, that's not going to be cool anymore. I don't know if they're going to call it warm or what, but it's not going to be cool. Your life is being led. And it's not a bad thing. We have to be led. We are lost. What is the definition of a person who doesn't know where they are and has no leader? Now, if I'm with someone who knows where we're going and I'm doing something in the car and I'm not paying attention, I may not know where we're going, but I'm not lost because I'm with someone who knows where we're going. Do you understand? And likewise, if I'm, if I'm in, the, in the, the purpose of God and I don't know where we're going, but I'm with the Lord and He knows where we're going, I'm not lost. 
I'm okay. But if on the other hand, I don't know where we're going and I don't even know who's leading me, but I'm racing along towards somewhere, is that not the most dangerous kind of lost? Human beings need leadership. Young people need leadership. Bob Dylan said, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil. It may be the Lord. And he gave all kinds of other options. But he said, you're going to serve somebody. I thank God that I didn't have to go to high school in an institution out there. I was schooled at home. But I'm sure those of you who, could, who have been there could tell us that there is leadership in those circles. Their control over your life is so powerful and so complete that without a word, if you let them, they would dictate how you dressed, how you talked, what you said about your husband. Is that not also a form of submission? But it's surreptitious. It's not overt. It's guerrilla warfare. It's not out front. So people can maintain the illusion of independence while being intertwined by the bramble. It's a delusion. They are as needy and dependent and submitted as anybody in this room is. But they're just pretending that they're not. I was given a book a few years ago, that thick, that was just a long, horrible catalog of the atrocities that take place in the high schools of America. Do you know, no, do you want, do you know what, by 2020, do you know what the number one cause of death for people under the age of 30 is going to be? Suicide. It is the fastest growing disease among us. In the world, a person takes their life every 48 seconds. Now, if there was a plague, like, say, AIDS, that was killing people at a rate of every 48 seconds, what do you think the government would be doing? They'd be doing double backflips to prove to us that they were our messiahs and that we needed to give them all their, our money to go save the poor victims. But when people are so miserable and broken and lost and confused and hurt that they are exterminating themselves, they are killing themselves, we don't say we need God. We don't say that the sin-sick soul is in desperate need of a Savior. When marriages are being broken, love is being destroyed faster than it's succeeding, at a greater rate than it's succeeding. People don't need God? That's changed, you know. It didn't always used to be that way in this country. It's changing. The trend is getting worse and worse and worse. They can point out that there are fewer divorces this year than last year, but what they don't tell you is it's because there are so fewer marriages this year than last year. And how do we get here? Because we followed somebody. We followed the way they said we should behave in our marriage. In the movies, they showed us how. In the books, they told us how. In the magazines, they sold us the products that helped us look just how. 
They told us how we should behave toward our children. The experts came out and re-upended everything we used to do with children and gave us a new way. And we followed along like good little followers because that's what we are. Gobble, gobble, gobble. Then they told us that education didn't have to be this way. It could be like that. Then they told us that kids could watch this kind of material and read that kind of material. And we said, sure, because our leaders are telling us that. Surely we can do it. We can trust them. Hmm? And crime skyrocketed. Look at all the, the death, the shooting deaths. Our leaders in this culture, they have slowly but surely peeled off their masks and we are following them into their degeneracy and violence and ultimately toward death. And all the while, Jesus is still saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. And we look and we say, I don't want to have to submit to anybody. How absurd is that? Young people, if you were out in, there in, 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 in high school, you'd have to submit to your ball coach. You'd have to submit to your bully. Go read the statistics of young people who are killing themselves because of being rejected by their peer group, who are hanging themselves and killing themselves because of rejection by their peer group. Peer group. Is that not a form of submission? But it's, an, it's, a, it's a manipulative submission. It's a seductive submission. And that's not what Jesus says. We want the illusion of being free, don't we? Nobody's free. The only freedom you've got is the freedom to choose what kind of servant you're going to be. But you're going to serve. You're going to be submitted somewhere. Amen. And either you can choose to say, God, you have sent people into my life, people who are not perfect, people who have flaws and weaknesses, who make mistakes. But we are all out in the open. And we can see, we can hold ourselves up against your open word. And when there are mistakes, we can talk about them, we can resolve them. Amen? But I am not going to play this game where everybody is following, trusting a driver that they don't know. I'm going to know those who labor amongst me. Amen? I'm going to say, God, if you want me to trust somebody, let me hear your voice confirming it. And I'll trust. I don't even need to know where we're all we're going, but I'll, I know the sound of your voice. I know the comfort of your voice.